and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, we read the Apostle Paul's words as he wrote to the church in Rome. And we're going to pick up the narrative at verse 13. In chapter 1, Paul wrote and said, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you now to bless us. Open our hearts and minds to your word, we pray. We might really understand what the scripture teaches and uh, open your word to our hearts and minds. And we just pray you bless us. And I pray that the words of my mouth... And the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So as we look at chapter 1 of Romans, we find this statement in verses uh, 16 and 17, where Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You know, the gospel is the good news, and it's the good news about Jesus, and it is good news, uh, the gospel of Christ. Paul said he wasn't ashamed of it. He was willing to go to Rome. Rome was the city in the ancient world, in the Roman Empire. It was the capital. Um, it was rivaled, you know, every other city that existed. And it was the, the center of political power and wealth. And so Paul was going to go there. He was going to go there. He wanted to go there to preach the gospel. He ended up getting there, but not the way he planned to do it. Um, he ended up being arrested and brought there. But He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He said he wanted to come to them, uh, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, Paul, when he says Greek, he means non-Jews, those that were Hellenistic. Uh, Earlier, he says that in verse uh, 13, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He didn't think that the Romans were (coughs) Greeks. He meant their culture. They had that that Hellenistic type culture, non-Jews. So Jews and Gentiles is what he means by that. And he says the gospel goes forth. First, it went to those of the Jews, the Jewish people, because the Messiah came from the tribe of Judah and uh, Jesus came there. And, you know, the gospel events is recorded in the gospel narratives. And then the Great Commission was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Or go and having gone, make disciples of all the nations. Now the word nations there in Greek is the, the word ethnoi. And that's actually the same word that's translated Gentiles. So 
uh, we could just as well say to the uh, where it says Gentiles as among the other nations, meaning other nationalities and races. The gospel is open for all. So he says he's not ashamed of it. There are those that would try to silence him, try to shame him and us and others. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the righteousness of God, that means the, the justice of God, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, some say, well, does he mean God's righteousness or is he talking about a righteousness from God? Because when we have in our English Bibles where it says uh, the uh, righteousness of God, that the word God there is in the genitive, uh, or it could be understood to mean the righteousness from God. That is a righteousness that God gives. Well, God's righteousness is displayed in the gospel because he doesn't compromise his justice in order for us to be forgiven. He doesn't simply overlook our sin and say, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Okay, he doesn't do that. Sin has to be paid. God is a God of justice. The penalty must be paid. God's justice uh, in the law has no uh, yielding. The law must be satisfied. And that's why God sent his son so that the law's just claims against us could be answered and paid. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. As God told Adam, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Speaking of the forbidden fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As you know, Adam did eat that day, and so did Eve. But we also know that day God clothed them with skins, hides, literally animal hides, and there was a sacrifice offered. Later we see when Cain and Abel came to worship God, Abel knew to bring a blood sacrifice. Where did he learn that from? He learned that from God's own instruction. Christ is the land that was slain from the foundation of the earth, we're told elsewhere. So God had made a way for Adam not to die. He got accepted as a substitute. Now Adam, we understand Adam did die spiritually at that time until God had mercy on him. But uh, death came into the world through Adam. But God accepted a substitute on his behalf. Same thing for us. God is righteous, and he didn't compromise his righteousness. So notice here, we would expect it to say, when Paul's speaking about the gospel, you know, if I wrote the Bible, thank God I didn't, because I would have messed it up. But the men that wrote it were under the inspiration of God. And it's interesting to note that Paul did not say, we would expect it, but he doesn't say, for therein is revealed the mercy of God. That's what we would expect. Huh? We'd expect it to say, and the gospel is revealed the mercy of God. That would be the logical conclusion, and that wouldn't be wrong in a different context, except that's not what God said <clears throat> by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. The mercy of God is revealed, but it's revealed by his righteousness not being compromised, not being overlooked, not being ignored. It's revealed by God's righteousness being upheld. God is a just God. So in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And so we learn about God's righteousness when we consider what the gospel story is. That God sent his son into this world, as we prayed in my, or mentioned in my prayer, and as you know from your own study of the Bible and, and learning God's word, Christ came into the world and took to himself a human nature. He became a real man, as I mentioned earlier. 
100% man and 100% God joined together in his eternal person. Christ came, and he came so that he could provide us with a righteousness that we are in desperate need of, because you can't appear before God unless you are considered to be righteous and holy, and yet here we are, sinful, polluted, and if left to ourselves, wicked off the scale. Christ came, though. God intervened in history. At the right time, we're told, God sent his son, and his son came to redeem us. And as Paul says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the life of his son, how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life? And so Christ came into the world because God's righteousness would not be compromised, nor would it be overlooked or neglected. God maintained his justice, as Paul says elsewhere in this epistle, that he might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. That is, that God's righteousness is not compromised in the fact that he forgives us because the penalty for your sins was fully paid by your substitute. That's the wonder of the gospel. God was willing. He didn't have to do it, but he was willing to accept a substitute on our behalf. And that's none other than the only one who could be a substitute for us, and that's his son, Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, became a man. That's what that means. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. That word godliness can mean piety also. It means, and it doesn't, you know, pious gets a bad rap sometimes. We use that term almost uh, in a uh, uh, bad way. You know, we say, oh, he's really pious. Okay, but the word itself is a very good word. It means someone who it puts God first in his or her life, someone who loves the Lord, someone who does what the Bible says, someone whose life has been changed. Uh, piety is really important, um, that he might be just, and the justifier, that is God is righteous, and he is the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. He changes us, he causes our hearts to be changed, but he declares us righteous. You know, you're not declared righteous because you're starting to do better things. God declares you to be righteous because he gives you the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, he exchanges, you might say, Christ took your, your sin. It's called the great exchange. Uh, Christ took your sin, and then he gives you his righteousness. And that's what's revealed in the gospel. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Jesus, it's good news about him. It's, it's not just good news. It's the good news of Christ. Why? He says, it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It changes lives. That's what that message does. You know, through the foolishness of preaching, God saves those who believe. Uh, as he says also in this epistle, you know, the, the, the Jews want a sign and the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. Uh, and to them, the, the foolishness of the cross, or it seems like foolishness to them. He says, but we preach Christ. And he's the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's displayed in him. He's it. It's the gospel of Christ. And to the Jew first, the gospel went to them first and also for the Greek. And we've looked at this. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, when he says it is revealed from faith to faith, uh, from faith, the Greek is literally ekpisteos espistin for you Greek scholars out there. Okay. Ekpisteos is the, the word, pistis in Greek is the word for faith, all right? Uh, and when he says it's ekpisteos, that's the genitive form of faith, ek means out of. It's like we have an exit, that's a 
from Greek right there on your door. Uh, the exit, X, uh, E-X, it means out of, okay? In generally, in most, most contexts, uh, we use it that way. And so when it, it's out of faith, it means that the, the being right with God, this justification that Paul's talking about, this righteousness of God for us, it comes forth to us out of faith and then pistein, which means into faith. So it's out of faith into faith. That's Paul's way of saying in the Greek language, and the Holy Spirit was a master of Greek because he created it so he could communicate to us in very precise uh, thoughts. It means it's faith from the very, very beginning all the way to the very, very end, okay? If you want to look at it that way. It starts with faith. It ends with faith. Justification is by faith alone. That's what that means. Paul's going to expound on that in the book of Romans. Uh, then he tells us, quoting from Habakkuk, as it is written, the just, that is one who is right with God, shall live by faith. Now, this came up in the early church a lot. You know, the question was, you know, do you have to become basically a Jew? Do you have to be circumcised? And do you have to then begin to keep the ceremonial laws of, of the Old Testament, etc.? Um, and there was a big controversy. We'll look at that in a moment, some of those verses that touch on that. But the just shall live by faith. The one who is right with God shall live, how? By faith. So how, how do we get right with God? How do we receive this righteousness that's revealed in the gospel, this righteousness from God? How do we receive this? By faith and by faith alone. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, Paul actually says, Therefore, having been justified, so he's talking about a reality that a Christian knows in his or her life, not just something we look forward that maybe on judgment day will be acquitted, but that's already happened if you're a believer. Paul says in uh, Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're put into a right relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a relationship of peace. You know, we're not like uh, those who uh, don't know for sure, you know, can, how do I know I'm saved or not? Well, if you're not sure if you're saved, call on the Lord Jesus. If you're trusting in him, it's not because you did something. It's because God had mercy on your soul and brought you to saving faith. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus also said, no one can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. Right. So if you, if you come to trust in Jesus, and it's not your grip on him that saves you, it's his grip on you. Okay. So if you're feeling weak, that's okay. All right. If you say, yeah, my faith is just, it's, it's, it's like a little mustard seed. Good. That's how Jesus described true saving faith. And how did he describe it? It grows. It grew and became uh, the biggest tree in the field. And so you might have small faith, but it's the one in whom your faith is. And that faith is given to you by God. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you can say today, yeah, I do believe in Jesus. If you're like me, you're probably going to say, I'm pretty much a flake on a lot of levels, but I do believe in Jesus and I'm trusting in his mercy. And I wish that I was everything I'm supposed to be, but I do 
at times I actually can say, I, I feel like the Lord's working in my life. You know, as I trust in Jesus, he's doing good things. He gets all the praise and all the glory for that. He's helping me. And my faith, I have it. It might be kind of weak. And I sure can't boast in anything, but it's from God. That's why you're, you know, you're kept by the power of God through faith, it says. That is, God's power is what keeps you in faith. That's why you believe in Jesus, if it's real. And so if you have that faith, you've been made right with God. We've been justified by faith and you have the relationship of peace. You at times may be troubled sometimes just because you forget the gospel, you forget about justification by faith alone. You start thinking, well, it's by works, you know, that old covenant of works that God made with Adam, do this and you'll live. Don't do this and you won't die. We start thinking in terms of the old Adam and we think, well, if my performance hasn't been everything it should be, well, if it hasn't then confess that. But God's not going to, if God was going to throw you away because of your sin, okay, you'd be somewhere out in the middle of the Atlantic right now, not necessarily on the surface either, okay? If he was going to, you'd be floating around in outer space. If he was going to get rid of you because of your sin, he would have done it a long time ago, all right? He hasn't. Why? Because you stand in Christ. God receives you in the righteousness of his son, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He can't say that on the basis of your perfection or your good works. But he certainly can say it on the basis of what Jesus Christ accomplished for you. And you're joined to Jesus now by faith. And because of that, you have the Holy Spirit. Or I guess we could say you have the Holy Spirit who brings faith to you. God's not going to throw you away. If you're trusting in Jesus, you belong to him. You've been declared righteous, having been justified. That means having been declared righteousness. Excuse me, righteous. Okay, because you've been given the righteousness of Jesus, and that's perfect, and that's never going to be taken away from you. You belong to Jesus. He loves you so much, he died for you. He underwent hell for you because he loved you. He didn't have to do it. He did it because he loves you, and he knew if he didn't do that, you would have to go to hell and pay that penalty of ju for to justice, to God's righteousness, his justice. You'd have to pay it, and he's infinite, so he could pay that penalty by suffering for a short while, all the intensity of an eternal hell in his human nature on the cross. But if you who are a finite creature had to pay it, you would have to suffer for eternity in the fires of hell because you've sinned against an infinite and eternal God. And the penalty of sin is measured by the one against whom we've sinned, not by who we are, it's by who God is. That's why sin is eternal in his punishment. So either one who is eternal had to suffer for you in time, or you will have to go to hell for all eternity and suffer the justice of God against your sins. Christ died for us. He took our place. That's the great exchange. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. And he knew there was no other way. And it says in, you know, in Timothy, um, I believe it's, if, I think it's chat, uh, 2 Timothy 2.10, I believe it is, um, where it says that grace was given to us in Christ Jesus. In our English Bibles, generally it says before time began. Literally, it's before time's eternal. Christ stood for you in eternity with the Father, and in that eternal covenant between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, sometimes theologically referred to as the covenant of redemption, Christ covenanted with the Father, the Father covenanted with the Son, and all three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, covenanted together to create you and then to redeem you from your sins because God foreordained and knew you would sin. 
and then to apply that salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you in time so that you could be saved. But Christ has loved you with an everlasting love. That's always been in the Father's heart. That's how much he loves you. So Paul says, therefore, having been justified, that is in time when God brought us to saving faith, we believed in Jesus. And at that moment, you, you were born again. God declared you righteous. He imputed to you the righteousness of Christ. And you were changed and transformed. Uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Paul writing to the Romans, that's chapter 5. Now between what we read in verses uh, 17 and 18, excuse me, 16 and 17 in chapter 1, and by the time we get to Romans 5, 1 and 2, Paul's had a lot to say about justification by faith alone. If we, if you have, if you're at Romans, if you turn your your pages a couple of places, you'll see in chapter three, Paul is talking about all the wonderful things God has done. Okay, so he's, first of all, he talks about the destruction that sin has brought about. We come to verse twenty-one of chapter three. He says, "But now, well, let's look at read verse twenty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight." For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So Paul says, the law can't make you righteous, can't make you right with God. The law shows you your sin. You know, the old illustration is so true. The law is like a mirror. It can show you that your face is dirty. That's what a mirror does. It can show you, the law shows you why you're going to go to hell if you aren't saved, okay? The law shows you what your sin is. Read the first part of Romans 3, and you'll see what Paul's talking about. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God, etc. So Paul is saying that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. A mirror can't clean your face. It can show you that you're dirty. That's what the law does. That's We look into the perfect law of liberty, and the first thing it does is show us our sin. So the law can show us that we need to be saved. And that work of the law needs to be done. People need to understand. You know, we talk to people about getting saved. They're like, well, I don't need to be saved. I'm a good person. That work of the law has not been done in their life. They need to know that by the law, you can't be saved. You're not a good person. You might think you are, but that's part of the fact that your brain, your, maybe we shouldn't say your brain, it's not a physical organ, but your, your soul is lifted up within you. You, you know, it's the infection of your sin that has swelled your spiritual thinking because you're dead in trespasses and sins into thinking that with all your filthiness, all your lust, all your corruptions, all your malice, all your hateful and hating others, as Paul says elsewhere, uh, that somehow you're just fine and, and great because God must love you just the way you are. And it's like, no, left in your condition, if you're like that and unre unregenerate, that just shows you're a child of wrath, but they don't see it. They're, they're blind. And so men trust in their own righteousness. The law comes along and says, here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. Every aspect of your being should be dedicated to loving God. Now, how does that condemn us? Well, we don't do that. And the other thing is we're really not bothered by the fact that we don't do that. And if our eyes were open, we'd be ashamed of ourselves for not loving God as we ought to because he's our creator. But men deny God. 
and then they go on and do abominable works. But we ought to love God, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two chief commandments, and by the laws, Paul says, is the knowledge of sin. But now, Paul says, the righteousness of God, that's what he started out with in chapter 1, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law, that is how to be made right with God, apart from keeping the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law never said that you could be saved as sinners by keeping it. Now, the Bible does say that the man that does these things shall live by them. But that's perpetual, and you'd have to start out sinless for that to apply. And so you can't go that route. But he says here that apart from the law, it's revealed, witnessed. The law testifies to it. If you read the law, you find those promises of the Messiah coming. You know, that God was going to send a savior. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, note, through faith in Jesus Christ. And some render this through the faith of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus' faithfulness. Nothing wrong with that, okay? The, the Greek grammar can certainly bear that up. But generally it's understood as a, uh, an objective genitive, meaning that you know, our faith is in Jesus Christ. Uh, but through faith in Jesus Christ, that is, we trust in him who died and rose again. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So everyone has to go this route or they're not going anywhere. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Note that. Because of Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, that is a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice that takes away sin and brings about reconciliation. That's the basic definition of the word propitiation, a sacrifice that basically quiets justice, satisfies it. Okay. Uh, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. To demonstrate his righteousness, remember God is just, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. The reason why is Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And, uh, you know, we'd say, well, how are the Old Testament saints saved? Because Christ hadn't died yet. They, they were saved on credit because Christ had covenanted with the Father through eternity. In time, he came and paid the debt for them. Um. Uh, to demonstrate, excuse me, uh, uh, he had, God had put up with us before we were saved because he knew in his plan you were going to be saved and Christ had died for you. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. Note that he might be just. You see, God doesn't compromise his justice. And the justifier, the one who declares righteous, who? The one who has faith in Jesus. So you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you're trusting in him. God declares you to be righteous. He's justified you. He says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law of God through faith? That is, are we just throwing the law away now and say it has no use? Of course not. 
Certainly not. Uh, may, you know, may genoito, may it not, never be, is what Paul says. Uh, on the contrary, we establish the law. That is, we put the law in its right use, that first use of the law. We say the law is good and it does show us what our sin is. And that's not a bad thing. You know, if you were going to appear before even an earthly king, if someone came up to you and said, you need to go look in a mirror, because right? your face is really dirty, right? Uh, you'd want to go look in a mirror and, oh, my, and then you'd wash, okay? Well, you have to appear before God. So the law is your friend. And it has, by the way, all the claims of the law against you have been paid in full. And the records in heaven are stamped paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. So your sins are forgiven. The law can't hurt you. It can show you where you need to confess and you need to ask for forgiveness. So Paul then, he then talks about Abraham in these first few verses of chapter 4. He says, uh, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? So he says, let's go back in the book of Genesis and see what did, what did Abraham say? For if God, excuse me, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. That is, if you have to earn it, then it's yours if you've done what's required. But to him who does not work, and I love this, but what a peace this brings. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Why? Not because he's trying to be justified in ungodliness, but a person that knows, I have no righteousness, I have no plea, other than that Jesus Christ suffered and died on my behalf. That person, he says, his faith is accounted for righteousness because faith is how we receive the righteousness of Christ. And then he says, just as uh, David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are, for, are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So we see that a man is made right with God through the work of Christ. Now, uh, Jesus said, let your good works so shine before men that they might uh, see them. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. James in his epistle, if someone wants to bring an objection, James in chapter 2, verses 14 and 16 says, well, a man is uh, not justified by faith, at, you know, without works. You know, a man is justified by works also. And that's where we have to actually read our Bibles, because Paul's not contradicting anything that James said, nor is James contradicting Paul. Paul is saying the works of the law can't save you. Those kind of works don't do anything except provoke God's wrath because you don't do them for the right reason when you do do them. James is saying if you have real faith, it's going to have good works accompany it. So there's no contradiction. But sometimes we talk about justification by faith alone. Some people will quote James and go, well, James says we're justified by works. Actually, he says faith without works is dead. If you have a type of faith that doesn't change your life, something's wrong. Paul himself, I quoted the text that we all know. For grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What's the next verse? Verse 10 in, in Ephesians 2. What does he say? For we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, you know the, the passage, unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. 
Paul also told Timothy, uh, uh, Titus, tell those who have believed and make sure that they're diligent uh, to do good works. He's redeemed us to himself uh, to be a peculiar people, it says in the King James, a unique people, zealous of good works. So if you have true faith, faith works by love, we're told. Faith works. And so James and, and Paul are not contradicting each other. I think we can get this clarified from Titus chapter 3. Uh, in verse 3, Paul writing to Titus kind of brings it all together when he talks about the good works and about God's gracious work toward us. What it means to be justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts, meaning various kinds of lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Note, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He's not, he doesn't say the, re, the, the regeneration is brought about by baptism. He's saying when you're born again, it's like being washed. Okay. So many people take that and go, oh, well, that's talking about water baptism. It's like, no, it's not. He doesn't say the regeneration of washing. He says the washing of regeneration. All right. Being born in regeneration is the $2 word for being born again. That's exactly what that means. It's translated that way elsewhere. So when you're born again, it's like you're cleansed. You're, you're born again. You're washed from your sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's biblical language. John says in Roma, uh, Revelation chapter 1, Now to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's referring to Christ. We've been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, those, those garments of righteousness that he gives us. So not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost or of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, that means the free favor of God in kindness and mercy to us, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. See, why does he bring that up when he's been talking about salvation by grace? Because faith, real faith, will bring forth love. And if you love people and you have compassion and you recognize God has loved you way beyond anything you deserve, then you're going to want to be kind and merciful to other people. God's love will change your life by making you be compassionate and merciful to others. Obviously not perfectly, but that's what we're working on, okay? So Paul says uh, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things, he said, are good and profitable unto men. And so finally, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, because the Galatians got all messed up thinking they had to, we've got to keep the law of Moses. We've got to be circumcised and do everything the ceremonial law says to do, et cetera, et cetera. Paul wrote the whole epistle of Galatians to refute that. And, but he tells him in chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So 
Don't let anyone try to bring your conscience into bondage. When they try to tell you you have to do some religious ritual or you have to have some ceremony, whether it's, you know, the sacraments of baptism, the Lord's Supper, or some other man-made foolishness saying, oh, you must do this. You have to, you know, at the Reformation. Well, you have to be in submission to the Pope in order to be saved. Really? Here's the Bible. Show me where it says that. It doesn't. Okay. Uh, oh, well, you have to make sure you keep all the rituals and uh, et cetera, et cetera. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your house. That's the liberty we have. We've been saved freely by God's grace. You are righteous before God and you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You are a child of God. You're his son or daughter. You belong to him. You have access to his throne of grace. It's not based on your success in keeping his law. It's based on the fact that Christ kept the law perfectly died for you in place of you, rose again for you, ascended into heaven for you, and right now is interceding for you. And he's going to come back again on the last day of history to take you to himself because you belong to him. He bought you with his blood. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Praise God. So maintain that liberty and don't let anybody ever try to bring your conscience into bondage. Recognize I'm saved because of Jesus, not because I have some man, you know, telling me I've jumped through enough hoops or something like that. Okay. Uh, and most religions get that way after a while. You know, people try to say, oh, you have to do this, this, and this because our fearless leader has said so. Okay. Well, you don't have a fearless leader other than Jesus. And he said, you're forgiven if you trust in him. So don't ever forget that. Praise God. I think we have good reason to thank God in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that though we ourselves are weak and frail and sinful and foolish, we thank you that you've not left us in that condition. Lord, you sent your Son to redeem us. We thank you that by his precious blood we've been saved. We thank you for the, the Holy Spirit who has applied that salvation to our lives. And Father, we give you all the praise and glory and thanks in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have truly saved us and are saving us. And on the day when you return, we, we look forward to being completely transformed, body, soul, and spirit in every aspect and conform to your image perfectly, where even the very presence of sin will be removed, Lord. And we thank you for that. So in the meanwhile, work within us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. Deal with us in mercy and fill our hearts with gratitude and thanks and praise and help us to not forget the gospel, but to remember it. This, Father, we ask in Jesus Christ's name.